Welcome to episode 16 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each episode, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word poet and writer, and with me is my co-host, L. I am L. Alder. I'm a professional psychic and a solitary eclectic witch. And today, uh, you might notice the audio quality is a little different. We're recording in my audiobook studio in my grandma's basement, and we are back-to-back. Normally, we're facing each other, but right now, we're back-to-back to hit audiobook levels of recording quality. So I hope you enjoy uh the way this sounds we're so incredibly crisp and i got l a new microphone for christmas yes which is very fancy so you can have very fancy high quality readings from me if you get one now. it is a very crispy microphone mm-hmm. uh, that picks up everything if somebody if your neighbor farts down the street you, the microphone will pick it up i can't pick up my water bottle because i put ice in it and now it just tinkles here pick so. up your water bottle as like a sample yeah. So that's the four <laughs> ice cubes in my water bottle clinking around. Yeah, you're going to hear every every detail. <laughs> um, people talk about magic being another word for science or how math is magic or how language is magic. But today, we're going to talk about how music is magic. Before bibliomancy, divination by book, see episode like two and three, <laughs> uh, there was rhapsodeomancy. Rhapsodomancy. There's no E. <laughs> Rhapsodomancy. Divination by verse. It's traditionally done with poems or songs as they were easily memorized because people couldn't read. Um, yeah. The thing about bibliomancy is that it requires you to be able to read. Rhapsodomancy simply required that you knew some songs or poems. If you recall from the Bibliomancy episode, I mentioned how Socrates predicted the day of his execution via the Iliad. Well, since Socrates was all about memorizing things and believe books and reading rotted your brain, uh, he did this by just recalling lines in his brain. And I was going to say, isn't there that one guy that was like in jail and he was thinking about it and he's like, oh, yes. Yeah, it's so it's all Socrates. (laughs) (laughs) Socrates. (laughs) As a Bill and Ted reference. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Technically, what he was doing was rhapsodomancy, not quite bibliomancy. Although the Iliad was mostly used for bibliomancy. Um, Socrates was on that old school shit. Uh, Though, you know, they do intersect a lot. And in these episodes, we're going to talk about cursed songs, songs used for curses, songs used for magic, and haunted musicians. Mmm, spooky. Rhapsodomancy is a very, very old form of divination and had fallen a bit out of style as more people favored bibliomancy. However, Rhapsodomancy has seen a resurgence with the rise of the information age. (laughs) MP3 players, most notably the iPod, created a new Rhapsodomancy-Cybermancy hybrid that the cool kids in the 2000s called Shufflemancy. (laughs) You load as many songs as you can onto your iPod, set it to shuffle, and then slam that skip button. And whatever song you land on was said to foretell your future or be the answer to a question. This was a low-key trend. Like, 
mid 2000s emo kids like let's do like ask your question does jeffrey uh like you <laughs> uh <laughs> for some reason i was like jeffrey epstein are we predicting jeffrey epstein's future and then i was like oh yeah no. oh man isn't it jeremy you, you took it there yeah jeremy's our jeremy's, running character yeah he's the returning character he's our, not he's jeffrey our, he's our running character <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jeremy was like, what is my future? Yeah, or like, who has a crush on me? <laughs> uh, and the song that comes up is Valerie. <laughs> yeah, um. it's like, uh, was <laughs> Valerie even out? Yeah, Valerie was out. Could have been, at, I don't in, know. And in, in, at the time. I'm sure it was like a 1970s song that they redid like several times, right? Yeah, that's Amy Winehouse. I gotta look it up, hold on. Pretty sure it is, um, but... We're going to be talking about Amy Winehouse, uh, I think, in part two. Um, well, we're bringing back Shuffle Mancy for the new year, for the Roaring Twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Raw means love and dinosaur, for those of you that are not old enough to have been in middle school when that was a or thing. On, or on MySpace. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so... We're actually going to do a bunch of flash readings for a bunch of people using Shufflemancy and their Spotify wrapped playlist. Uh, if you're not using Spotify, if you don't know what that is, if you're one of the Apple podcast uh, or Audible listeners, uh, then leave us a review because that's a thing there. Uh, but here's Spotify Wrapped is the playlist Spotify sends you at the end of the year of your top 100 songs, your top artists, and a bunch of listening stats. So it's a playlist that I'll like turn back to and be like, let's look at my 2017 Spotify wrapped. Boy, I was having a real hard time that year. (laughs) (laughs) And every year since, let's be honest. And every year Um, since. Amy Winehouse covered Valerie in 2006, and it was not actually by her. It was by the Zootons. And I'm trying to get an exact date, but it's like a stupid Vice interview thing well 2006 was like the height of this shuffle it was yeah it was when like the ipod was coming out the ipod mini and the ipod shuffle especially was what really kicked us off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um we'll also be doing rhapsodomancy in the more traditional way uh we received an album from one of our patreon supporters and l is very familiar with this album i guess yeah Uh, l will be listening to it going into a trance like an ancient greek oracle uh, and performing divination from the songs contained within the album. Honestly, there is so much magic surrounding music and musicians that it could be its own whole entire podcast of music-related lore and urban legends. And I'm sure there are plenty of podcasts out there that do that. And we're just barely going to be scratching the surface. We're not even going to be establishing a base camp on the tip of the iceberg. Um, There's so much cool music magic out there. So come along with me on this ride into Rhapsodomancy. Divination via music and verse. Okay, so technically, actually, now I have the answer. So, Valerie was originally by the Zootons, which got released in their second studio album in 2006, June 16, 2006. And then it was later covered by Amy Winehouse. Okay. Now we know. We got the deets. 
Um, thank you for doing research assistance, L. You're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Music has always played an important role in magic and ritual. L, have you ever used music for like a spell or for divination? Um, I, yes, I have used it for a spell. Um, actually, I like had posted one that I have, I like music boxes, and the song for Elise is one of my most favorites. And so I have a little music box that I like did with a song on my Twitter at one point. I don't typically use it to, I guess, do divination. I don't know. You can, I just don't typically. So, of course, music plays an important role in religion, mm-hmm. uh, especially. Uh, there's, you know, hymns and the Gregorian chants that we're all familiar with in most Christian religions. There's music in every culture throughout the world, and there is almost always a spiritual connection to music. Mongolian throat singing, for example, is meant to create a spiritual connection to nature by mimicking the sounds in nature. There's also, of course, the Tibetan singing bowl or standing bowl which you've heard numerous times on the podcast. (laughs) It's basically an inverted bell, so it looks like a bowl, and it serves several magical purposes as an instrument. It can manipulate your chakras. (laughs) Fireball jutsu. (laughs) It would also serve uh, to put a person into a trance or a meditative state because you can sustain the tone by uh, uh, rubbing the little ringing stick around the edge like a crystal glass hmm. and it helps you know put you into a meditative reflective state striking the bowl creates a grounding effect and also clears the energy that's the reason why we hit the singing bowl when we go off on a tangent I don't have the little the stick I don't have the stick that oh, goes shit. with it the stick is still in the duffel bag oh no we just retrieved the stick <laughs> Energy cleared. <laughs> yes, indeed. Energy cleared. Grounded. Mm-hmm. The singing bowls are used also in music therapy, which is a scientifically backed, evidence-based therapy that has existed for a long long time. It has been known by cultures ancient and modern that music can have a positive effect on the mind and even put the body in the best position to heal. Music therapy serves numerous purposes, and patients with mental illnesses like Alzheimer's and schizophrenia and anxiety and depression have shown notable improvement by undergoing music therapy. Have you ever have you ever done music therapy? Um, I don't want to drag my family drama into this, but yes, I am quite familiar with music therapy, mostly because <laughs> a formerly deaf woman broke up my family and was a musical therapist originally. So, you know, I'm very, very familiar. Also, my dad's a musician, so I'm very familiar with, like, all of that stuff and how music works and its effects. And, yeah, I did. um, I played guitar. I've played ukulele. I did singing lessons. I've done so much with music, just any kind of art, really. There is a dark side, though. Oh, I know. (laughs) Of course there is. If music can be used to heal, it can also be used to harm. Mm -hmm. And this brings us to our extra spell brought to you by me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We don't really have a sponsor for this episode, so I'm going to shamelessly promote myself. I run a project called Dollar Compliments on Patreon. So this extra spell is from patreon.com slash dollar compliments. We're going to talk about music as a tool for torture. Uh, 
And I want to warn listeners that we will be discussing some of the post-9-11 Islamophobia and, of course, torture. So trigger warning for that. The United States government has been using sound as a weapon for a very, very long time. Historically, it has served as a psychological tool to bolster and energize your own troops while serving to intimidate the enemy. It also serves as a communication tool and a sort of brainwashing implement for soldiers. March music was created in the Ottoman Empire as a way to make soldiers act uniformly and to be able to give directions via sound because it's louder than shouting. It was used to control the actions of your forces, and it is still used for this today. Marching chants, like, you know, march music, marching songs, is used to take a soldier's mind off of the stress of war, the stress of training, and keep them focused. Musical cues from instruments like the bugle serve to communicate and also dictate behavior, like, wake up, salute the thing, go to the place. You know, I also just imagine being like, a soldier in like the like seventeen seventy six is like pounded on your drum, like oh, I'm helping. <laughs> I mean, they do that in Switzerland even still. So everyone in Switzerland, um, I think it's everyone. I don't think it's just the men, but everyone is required to serve like two years in the national army. Which you know, Switzerland is it's a pacifistic pacifist pacifist country yeah sure i'm like i don't know what word i'm trying to say but so a lot of my dad's friends because we do a lot of he does a lot of his music stuff in switzerland so we're friends with a lot of people in switzerland who are now really really good musicians and they just went into the army and played trumpet for two years because what else are you going to do in the swiss army um get one of those red knives I'm, I'm sure that they give those out. They're probably like, hey, can I use your bottle opener? Mine doesn't work right now. <laughs> it's like, probably. Mm, your bottle opener doesn't work? That must not be a Swiss one. Um, yeah, clearly. Yeah, or just the guy with the piccolo, like, and then the enemy, like, being like, I hear their fucking music. Oh, shit, I'm going to die. I'm going to fucking die. There's the fucking piccolo. I'm going to die. That's the thing about the Swiss Army is, like, even in World War II, they refuse to get involved in anything. Like, they require all of their citizens to serve two years in the Army and never actually use them to go to war, which I'm fine with, personally, but... It's just like um, mandatory Boy Scouts, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like a lot of my dad's friends, like um, there's one young man who's a very, very talented musician. And he, yeah, he served two years just literally playing trumpet. And another one of my dad's really good friends who is um, a trumpet and Alporn teacher, like he teaches lessons and stuff. He did that, too. So it's a pretty common thing. And, like, I get it. Um, Music makes effective soldiers, but shit starts to get real fucked up when it's used for psychological warfare, specifically torture. Music torture was developed in the 1950s and 60s by the CIA to remove Soviet brainwashing. Legitimately, that was their goal with music torture. It received most of its use during the War on Terror, though. Mm. There were reports by soldiers and agents inside of Guantanamo Bay that music was played at deafening volumes. One of the most infamous songs that was played for music torture was I Love You, You Love Me from the children's show Barney. (laughs) They used it because of the slow 
droning, repetitive nature of the song, which has everything built into it already that was used in the research in the 1950s, which would suggest that this is the best kind of song. Slow, droning, repetitive. Those are the key ingredients to undo Soviet brainwashing, I guess. Of course. Um, the other song that would be used in this way and also played over damaging volumes was the Meow Mix commercial song. I want chicken. Wait, what is it? Meow, 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 meow. Right? I don't know. Yeah. It's torture. It is a cursed song. Both both songs are cursed songs. They are very cursed. For more reasons than just this, but definitely because of this. I've never, I don't think I can even recall the last time I heard the Meow Mix like commercial. I also haven't had like TV on my own accord since I was I, like I've never actually had a TV package that I paid for. I know. So it's been since I was like 18 since I lived with my parents. The but. millennials like us are just in this weird place where it's like we remember all this all this like Gen X and boomer shit, mm-hmm. but we've all moved past it. Right. Uh- <laughs> it like comes out of the depths of your brain and you're like, "Oh god, yeah, I buried that for a reason." Yeah. I love you. <laughs> You love me. I think that's a really lovely song, but I would not want to listen to it, like, blasting, you know? Anyway, I think it's cute for kids. We could use more of that. We could use more of that instead of no more bullshit Trumpsters. Anyway. Well, later, the uh, (laughs) American monsters in Guantanamo Bay would... More or less throw away the very bullshit research from the Red Scare, realizing that it wasn't the pseudoscience that was working for them, but rather that it was unbearable torture. Mm. So they made moves to make the torture even more unbearable. They found that music which insulted uh, their religion or values in some way or was somehow culturally offensive caused the most harm. Mm. So they put them in cold rooms, like rooms that were around 40 degrees. And uh, they would accompany that with music and strobe lights to induce sleep deprivation. And they would be forced to kneel uh, either naked or in underwear uh, for hours as the music blasted. Hmm. Wow. Horrifying. Yeah. Uh, One of the songs they first used was the song Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And they figured, well, they hate America, so they'll hate this song, completely ignoring the fact that Springsteen wrote that song as a criticism of America. Specifically, it's a song about a man who comes home from the Vietnam War and is unable to find a job after his government abandons him. It's one of those like weird things where everybody thinks it's patriotic just because he says born in the USA over and over. But it's like a sarcastic like, yeah, I'm born in the USA and it fucking sucks. I have to say almost like without fail, most musicians and artists are uh, against like conservative propaganda. We can just kind of assume that maybe unless they're country singers and that's like their image. But even Taylor Swift, who did that shit, was like, yeah, I have to recount on that. Because um, I didn't know what I was talking about when I was 17 and against abortion. So, you know, (laughs) Uh, I'm going to I'm going to read verse three of um, verse three and four of Born in the USA for like the historical purposes here. So let's do it. um, Come back home to the refinery. Hiring man says, son, if it was up to me, went down to see my VA man. He said, son, don't you understand? I had a brother in Kisan. Fighting off the Viet Cong. They're still here. He's all gone. Uh, 
He had a woman he loved in Saigon. I got a picture of him in her arms now. Mm. Uh, so it's like the Vietnam War was horrible. We shouldn't have done it. Uh, the United States government doesn't care about its veterans. It doesn't care about its citizens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like not a patriotic song at all. Um, yeah. When Ronald Reagan asked to use the song for his reelection campaign, Springsteen <laughs> gave him a very clear and decisive no. Because Born in the USA is not a patriotic song. I guess people don't actually listen to the lyrics. No, no one ever does. They just listen to, like, the chorus and are like, yeah, that's what the song's about. Of course. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Next, uh, they tried to offend their prisoners' sensibilities. And this, I think, is one of the most disgusting. Is uh, They started blasting Christina Aguilera's Dirty with two R's. Mm. which is a sexually charged pop song with extremely suggestive lyrics. And they used it on a man who was believed to be the 20th hijacker from the September 11th attacks. They would wake him up with either drips of water or Christina Aguilera's song played at damaging volumes. Uh, There were times where he would admit to meeting with bin Laden, times where he'd deny it. Uh, It became clear to the military's lawyers and human rights advocates that this torture was not able to produce the results and the torture stopped. Well, all you do is make people more crazy because you're undoing their sense of reality by basically disorienting them and, yeah, literally torturing them. So they're going to tell you whatever is you want to hear regardless of what actually happened because that's what it does. The use of sexualized music and tactics continued with other prisoners, though. They would have women conduct strip searches of the male prisoners and one guard bragged about giving a lap dance to a prisoner. Uh, this is our government that did this, that tortured people with sexual harassment. Nice. Good. Great. Love that. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't tell the Guantanamo Bay Title IX office. I don't think they care. No, no, they it's, don't care. It's actually the same office that um, allowed Trump to be president. So <laughs> I don't know that they really care about sexual harassment, but that's just me. I don't know. Uh, then they would move on from that, especially after the human rights advocates were like, no, not working. And the lawyers were like, no, this is definitely not working and we're not going to be able to defend you in court. Well, and then also, <laughs> if you think about any um, any testimony or anything, any confessions that they got under those, like, pretenses are not – you can't use them in court. And you also couldn't prove it. Like, if you got – it doesn't matter. I'm just, like, on a tangent. But basically – that's this is not the thing. This is not the thing that we should do. They would then use metal music and industrial music as their main torture genre. Uh, a guard was overheard bragging that he forced a prisoner to listen to satanic black metal and then gave him a Christian baptism to insult his uh, religion. What the fuck? Yeah, real fucked up. Uh, one of the bands whose music was used for this. Um, was the industrial band Skinny Puppy. Uh, (laughs) I have just like a really funny story about Skinny Puppy, but it is unrelated to torture, so I will let you continue. um, So when they found out their music was being used for torture by the U.S. government, they were pissed. Mm -hmm. I would be pissed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Skinny Puppy sent the U.S. government an invoice for $666,000 for use of their music as a weapon. The U.S. has not paid up, nor have they paid any royalties for the artists whose music they've weaponized. Uh, 
Uh, Skinny Puppy's outspoken protests led other musicians to speak out as well. And in 2008, a group called Zero DB was formed as part of a charity called Reprieve. Reprieve is a collection of lawyers and human rights advocates who fight for people who have suffered serious human rights abuses. They represented 30 prisoners in Guantanamo Bay. Zero DB has the mission of ending music torture entirely. In 2009, several musicians held protests at their concerts by holding a moment of silence to draw attention to the way music is being used for torture in Guantanamo Bay. Respect to Skinny Puppy and the many artists who have spoken out against the horribleness perpetuated by our government using music. I like how Skinny Puppy was like, oh, you want to use our music for torture as a weapon then? Uh, well, here's a defense contract. <laughs> I Well, I'm, yeah, that's super just interesting. And I'm also wondering why I didn't hear about this. Like, my dad worked for the AFM, the American Federation of Musicians. That was like what he did. And we ne- I never heard of this at all, ever. Yeah, I remember um, I went to a concert. Uh, I think it was Green Day. And they did the zero dB um, moment of silence. And that's when I first heard about it. Green when Day's I was great. Like, a teenager. Green Day is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we all know my secrets. One time I agreed to go on a second date with this guy, even though the first date was really bad because he bought tickets to a Green Day concert. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Green Day with you. And then I ghosted him. And I don't really feel bad. I'm going to be honest. Anyway. He's probably listening to the podcast and like, well, the time we spent together was uh, magical. And I will cherish it always. Oh, my God. And, like, at the very end, it was, like, raining. And we had this little blanket around our shoulders. And he, like, looked at me like he wanted to kiss me. And I was like, I think I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I just ducked out of that. Anyway, I don't even remember his name. But if you're listening to this. He was giving you kissy eyes. Sorry. He was giving you the kissy eyes. Send me a Venmo request and I'll pay you back for the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Now, anyway. what's what's your skinny puppy story? Um, so I have one of my friends. I actually have, like, a couple of friends because I'm a psychic, so I know weird people who are into weird shit. But I have a friend who is um, very into, like, pinup culture and is very rockabilly. And a lot of people who are into rockabilly were actually into industrial and punk first. And then they kind of transition. It's like when you get too old to mosh, then you become a rockabilly. That's kind of what happens. And um, her and... My other friend, but is also her best friend, kind of have this inside joke about how he went to this bar and, like, picked up this punk chick. And he took her home that night. And literally, my friend goes, she didn't even know who Skinny Puppy was. And you still fucked her. <sighs> Can you believe? And it's, like, it's been 10 years. And it's still really funny I think their last album came out in, like, 2013. Oh, yeah. They don't care because they're going to the goth clubs and, like, moshing and doing... I Well, it's not... No, the goth clubs don't mosh. They do... Whatever the fuck it is that they do for dancing. Um, when I was a medic at a Marilyn Manson concert, everybody just stood there and stared at him like they were like made of like, stone. Like it was um, Satan who had like come up out of the ground. It, it was honestly a little scary. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, nobody's going to get hurt. Like, Yeah. because Well, have you ever seen goth dancing? Haunting, but not dangerous. Well, have you seen goth dancing, though? They look like... Oh, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, my friend who's into all of that, which I can't say her name, but you know who she is. I guess I could say we could bleep it out. Anyway, um, she taught me you like pick the apple so you like sway really slowly and you like grab the apple from the air and put it in your other hand and then you pick up the apple from the floor and it's weird. 
It's fucking weird. If you're one of those people, I think you're weird. Like, I respect you, but I think you're weird. So, you know. Um, I mad respect to all the cyber goths out there wearing their masks. Um, yeah, fuck yeah. During, during COVID-19, protected. Cyber goth community protected <laughs> from COVID. With their air masks. Ga- yeah. Gas leak in COVID-19 kills zero cyber goths in 2020. That reminds me of the one viral video that's um, all of the cyber punks underneath the overpass. Oh, yeah, and they're like just doing their <laughs> shit. Overlaid to different music. Yeah. I yeah, love that. That's uh, so Skinny Puppy's last album was in 2013 and it's entitled Weapon inspired by the fact that their music was used to uh, torture, torture people. people. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um, this extra spell was brought to you by Dollar Compliments. Uh, in 2016, like a lot of people, I was filled with an existential hopelessness uh, that has aged quite well into 2020. <laughs> uh, I found that all of my poems were becoming dark and depressing and I wanted to start a poetry project that was based in positivity and hopefulness. So for $3 a month, you will receive a compliment in the mail monthly. The compliment is typed by me on my typewriter, uh, and every compliment is unique and especially for you. You can also subscribe for somebody. Just list their name and their address instead of yours. Subscribe by visiting patreon.com slash dollar compliments. And if you are subscribed, update your card and make sure make I've got sure the right, paid. A, uh, right mailing address because I get a lot of return to Bounce backs, yeah. While the United States is guilty of probably the most evil and nefarious use of music in all of history, they weren't the first. And, in fact, they may have been practicing black magic without realizing it. Cursing songs have been around for a very long time, with Irish cursing songs being the most ridiculous and the most effective. The idea behind Irish curses is to speak your ill will towards someone or something. The more that person fixates on what you said, the more likely the curse will come true. So, when you speak a curse at someone, you want it to piss them off or frustrate them or insult them so that they end up becoming fixated on the curse. And the way to break the curse, obviously, is to forget about it. Stick some stones. (laughs) Get about it. I, I believe in these curses. I believe that these curses are real. Um, you know, I'm very skeptical about most things, but I think this is a very pragmatic way to curse somebody. So, okay, quick question. Then are, like, advertisements also curses? Absolutely. Okay, because there's, like, I see these really baffling advertising, like, billboards and shit, and I'm like, what does that even mean? And RJ will be like, it doesn't matter, it's with you now. Yeah. Now it's taking real estate, now you'll know, now you're just going to think about it. And it's real so estate curses your brain. are the same thing, huh? Yep. Okay. Yep. So is it like um, Sponge Monkeys from the Quiznos commercial? Oh, my God. Cursed. No. Cursed as fuck. Oh, I don't like thinking and about Quiznos that. Quiznos sobs. <laughs> I remember I was like, I'm never eating at Quiznos. Like, they're gone now, probably because of that. <laughs> uh, minor curses were often formed out of quick bursts of anger. If someone pisses you off, you might yell something like, May your bones be broken. Or if someone is being a dick to you, you might say, a thousand placings of rope around your neck. Mm -hmm. Uh, All pretty awful things to wish upon someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, But curses like that were so common that people would forget about them pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you really wanted to get them, you'd need to be creative. 
the culture of cursing would spread to sailors and maritime life. And probably the clearest example I could find is Willem Dafoe's monologue in The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And I've got the I've got the clip for you. Yay. And if you haven't seen The Lighthouse, it's uh we so RJ and I went and saw it with my ex last year and they only had it at this like art theater um in downtown Salt Lake City and we went and we heard two things two things before we went and saw the movie the couple in front of us heard that we were ordering tickets for the show and the guy turned around and said don't see it it's awful it's awful and then the person at the concession stand said oh it was so good and both of them were right. Yeah, both, um, both things are true. Yes, both things are true. Uh, I wrote my screen screenwriting final on uh, The Lighthouse, and uh, my summary of the movie is two bros chilling in a lighthouse five feet apart because they're not gay, and they will kill each other to prove it. Mm, mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. here's a clip of the monologue. Two strikey dead Winslow. Hark! Hark! Triton! Hark! Bellow, bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths full foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with punch and slime. To choke ye, engorging your organs, till ye turn blue and bloated with builds and brine and can scream no more. Only when he... Crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacle tail and steaming beard, take up his fell befinned arm. His coral tine trident screeches banshee like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet. That's all I could play for um, copyright purposes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's how you that's how you curse someone. I hope the listener, when they listen to that, is just spooked because it is spooky. It, it, I, like it's, I think it's I, Willem Dafoe. Too, it is so it's extra spooky. Willem Dafoe is. I honestly think he's one of the best actors that we have that's contemporary. I really think he's incredible. He really is so underrated. Yeah, he is. Um, but I really underestimated how weird it would be to like not look at RJ. So I feel like I'm just sitting, staring at this corner, listening to creepy <laughs> Willem Dafoe cursing me. And I hope you, listener, get to have that experience as well because it is one you probably don't want to miss <laughs> definitely go go watch uh the light especially if you're into like artsy movies salt lake has like a weird like very artsy film um vibe because of the sundance film festival yeah uh so we have a uh, um like artsy theaters you can go to where they do cool showings and stuff mm-hmm. um yeah that was for educational purposes um for mm-hmm. the censors out there um, pretty unforgettable curse, though. Uh, like, if you really want to curse somebody, you'd write the curse into a song, though. Mm-hmm. That was the best, most effective curse you could do. And you have to make sure the song is catchy so that it would uh, earworm the victim of the curse and make it unforgettable to them. It would just, like, infect your brain um, like a catchy song. Uh, cursing songs were intended for the worst douchebags in Ireland. And people still write them today. <laughs> During the Great Famine, 
many cursing songs were created specifically for landlords uh, <laughs> who evicted people during the famine. Mm. So yeah, 2020, bring back writing a cursing, cursing song your for landlord. your landlord. Yeah. <laughs> I found record it and send uh, it to him. I found a fairly recent rendition of a cursing song called "The Bastard Landlord" mm-hmm. by an Irish band called the Pogies. Pogues, Poges. These are the lyrics. What makes people so callous and cold? I've lived in this house for 44 years. My children were born here. It's where I'll grow old. Curse you, you damn bastard landlord. Be damned. Who who needs one more house like the beach needs more sand? I'll stay till I'm done. Only nobody knows how God can let one man treat others so. Mm. Dude. Imagine being the landlord that got that cursing song written for you. I kind of want to do this to the landlord of the store. I want to do this. Kind of. Well, your landlord at the store was fairly decent. I yeah, need to do this pretty good. to my old landlord. Yeah. Literally, my landlord was so bad. Uh, I tweeted. Ended up on TV. <laughs> I tweeted about it. Yeah, ended up on TV, which has happened to me twice now. Um, but I tweeted about it, uh, about how bullshit it was, because she started renting out the house I was living in on Airbnb, and she listed all of my property as amenities, like the washing machine I paid for, the internet we were paying for, um, like my dishes and like my towels and my like shampoo and stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just randos were coming in, in and out of the house and having parties and stuff in the house I had <laughs> lived in for nine years. Uh, it was so bad. Um, USA Today wrote an article about it. I ended up on the news. I think my landlord won boner of the day at the local yeah. alternative radio station morning show. If you love those Twitter rants, you should follow him at Dala Compliment. Yeah, at Dala Compliment on yeah. Twitter <laughs> <laughs> for more great Twitter rants yeah. that might put me on the that fucking probably news. will get him some death uh, threats. And some he's more like, death Why threats. does this happen to me? And I'm like, because you fucking get, do this shit. Because you tweet about it. That's why. Anyway, yeah. you can follow him for those though. Don't talk about your problems if you want to live. Yeah, um, that's real. <laughs> You just need to be quiet and be happy that you're alive in America. That's what you get. That's all you're promised. And now not even that because COVID. So. Yeah. While songs have been used as curses, there are also songs that have been considered cursed, as well as cursed instruments and cursed musicians. One of the more fascinating cursed instruments I found was invented by none other than Benjamin Franklin. And he called it the glass harmonica. Franklin loved crystal glass playing music. You know, where they have like the like wine glasses, the crystal glasses. You put your fingers in water and you rub the edge and it makes a resonant sound. Benjamin Franklin was all about that life. Um, but he didn't care for how inconvenient it was to play. You had all these fragile cups and you had to set them all up and fill them to the right amount so that they play the right notes. So he was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this so much simpler to play and give it way more range. Uh, So he created the glass harmonica, which is numerous glass bowls rotating in front of you on a rod. And the musician dips their fingers in water and touches the edge of the rotating glass bowls, which produce a similar sound to the crystal glasses, but you can play it like a piano. It was a hit. Sure. Okay. 
at least for a little while, it was like a really trendy instrument to play, until the musicians who were playing the instrument started to go mad. Uh, I found a uh, clip of a musician named William Zeitler uh, on YouTube, um, williamzeitler.com, if you want to know more about him. But he is dressed like Benjamin Franklin playing Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy on the glass harmonica. I will play a little clip. Uh, Shout out to William Zeitler. Kind of haunting. Um, I, well, can you, can you do that? Do you know how to do the crystal bolt, the crystal? No, I'm fairly incompetent when it comes to music. Um, it's not, it's, I, I wouldn't, it's like intermediate level. I would say you can learn how to do it really easily, but that looked different than how I thought it did. So what I was envisioning was like a like like a lazy susan kind of a thing with all the bowls like sitting out in front of it and you're like dipping your fingers in it looks more like a rotating um like if you've ever seen a player piano how it has the music that it rotates that it like spins around through and it has the little notes on it and you can play it without using your hands that's kind of what it looks like is it's just like this round thing that goes they're on like a dowel yeah, it's on like a, a long, dowel. long dowel. And you just put your fingers on the rim of the bowls. And so that would make sense. But you have to press them fairly hard. Yeah. Like, to get it to do the thing, you have to really push down on it. So I th- that would take a lot of practice to really figure out how to do correctly. Enough practice to make you go <gasps> insane? Probably, honestly. Um, so German musicologist Johann Frederick Roschlitz noted this about the glass harmonica and laid out some ground rules for players because of glass harmonica insanity. The harmonica excessively stimulates the nerves, plunging the player into a nagging depression and hence into a dark melancholy mood that is an apt method for slow self-annihilation. Rule one, if you are suffering from any nervous disorder, you should not play it. Rule two, if you are not yet ill, you should not if you sh- you should not play it excessively. <laughs> if you if you're feeling down, rule three: if you are feeling the melancholy, you should not play it, or else play uplifting pieces oddly. It seems everyone who played uh, Franklin's Glass Harmonica fell into deep depression. They just got depression. <laughs> okay, it's like ah fuck, touched the bowl, now depressed. Hmm. There is absolutely uh, no shortage of cursed songs either. Oh, I should probably mention one theory about why it was making people insane was lead poisoning. Oh, uh, yeah. That a lot of the bowls had like uh, lead rings around them to help them keep shape. Yeah, I would think that the manufacturing of it would be really difficult. And it's probably fairly expensive. And like I said, it's probably very difficult. So very lead heavy. poisoning, yeah. yeah, could for sure be a thing. Yeah. Um, but also at the time, doctors were just like giving people lead pills to yeah. as a, like a cure-all. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, it was probably difficult to live in like the late 1700s. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that yeah. probably contributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, no shortage of cursed songs. Uh, in the Philippines, the song My Way by Frank Sinatra has been tied to a violent curse 
that has it legally banned from any and all karaoke bars. Do you want a fun fact about this song? Sure. So what I think of with this song is like the OG George of the Jungle and at the very end, the gorilla, who is George's friend, is like in Vegas in his white tuxedo coat singing this song. And that's I what I think of. Yeah. My way. <laughs> that is like a reference from the bowels of like 90s kids. When did brains. George of the Jungle come out? Oh, I was little, little. It was like my favorite movie when I was five. Let me look it up. I got to do some more research assistance here. So I wonder, 1997. So this film came out a year before the curse started. Oh, really? Yeah. So since 1998, about six killings have taken place in connection to somebody singing My Way on a karaoke machine. Hmm. They were dubbed the My Way killings as the incidents peaked in 2007, when a 29-year-old karaoke singer was shot dead by a security guard while singing the song. The guard said that he shot him because he was singing off-key and refused to stop singing. Okay, it do be like that, though. Karaoke is annoying. It, yeah, that's, like, I that's don't... That's a take. There's a reason that, like, a good karaoke bar has, like, a group of singers that the host has invited that he knows are good singers. Yeah, and they... Because you need a break routinely, from the bad people. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, one time I asked my brother if he wanted to go do karaoke with me. And he is a musician as well, like with my father. We're a very artistic family. And he straight up looked me in the eye and said, I get paid to sing. I don't do it for free. I was like, you know, that's probably fair. But also, I don't want to go listen to bad karaoke singers if I'm a good musician. <laughs> Low-key. I prefer, like, the the Japanese karaoke closet method where you get a private room to do karaoke in. Right, and you can do it with your friends. Way and you better. Get, you know, drunk or whatever, and you just have fun, and yeah, I get that. Anyway, if you like karaoke, I'm sorry for being mean to you. <laughs> Please just don't sing my way. Yeah, um, don't, because someone's going to get killed, and it'll be maybe your fault? It'll be the seventh my way killing. So that's really fascinating that the year after that movie came out is when that started being a thing. Yeah. Uh, after the incident in 2007, the sixth killing, the song was legally banned and uh, the song was deleted from all Filipino karaoke machines. Even without the ban, many Filipino refused to sing the song in public for superstition of being killed for doing so. Uh, there's a few explanations as to why six people have died so far singing karaoke to my way. One of the most prominent theories is that many karaoke bars in the Philippines have really rough crowds and a toxic culture is kind of formed around karaoke bars. Well, that's kind of a thing in Japan as well. There's a really good book that's called uh, People Who Eat Darkness that's about um, a British woman who was there doing, like she was illegally there doing work on a travel visa, which happens a lot with young women, and they work in karaoke bars. And yeah, it's a very, very seedy kind of dark underground thing that a lot of Japanese businessmen go to to find like young pretty blonde women and one of the women got murdered and that happens i don't want to say frequently but more frequently than you probably would guess it does yeah so it's believed these incidents are more indicative of a karaoke rage culture than of the song <laughs> itself being cursed uh they posit that uh the people 
who sing my way just sing it more badly than other songs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but are you Frank Sinatra? No. Does that mean you should be singing it? No. I'm just saying, you know, there's... there's yeah, uh, just a song sung you know. more badly gives people karaoke rage more than <laughs> I mean, yeah. other songs, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Bohemian Rhapsody gives me karaoke rage when people – I'm like, don't do that. Don't sing Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, it's like five minutes and you're not Freddie Mercury, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what about all the legends of musicians selling their soul to the devil for musical fame and prowess? Mm. What of them's legends? Well, the legend starts with the king of the Delta Blues, Robert Johnson. He is most famous for his song Crossroads Blues, which he recorded in 1936. The story goes that Johnson was a poor young man working on a plantation in Mississippi. He had dreams of being the greatest bluesman who ever lived, but his father wanted him to work on the plantation. Johnson would go get go to the blues club in the city every single night, and whenever the musicians would take a break, he'd ask to play the guitars. And according to accounts, he wasn't very good. But then he seemed to miraculously and rapidly improve. They say he took his guitar, like a guitar, down to a nearby crossroads where he met a tall, dark stranger. The stranger was, apparently, the devil. The devil took the guitar, tuned it, played a few songs, and handed the guitar back. After that, Robert J Johnson knew how to play the blues for which he became famous. It said that Robert Johnson made the Faustian bargain for blues fame. There's a lot of versions of the myth, and many folklorists believe that the Dark Stranger was actually the African trickster god Legba, because he is known to make deals at the crossroads. It is this demonization of African religions by white Christians that turned Legba into the devil. Um, I would also say it's actually Papa Legba is the full name of the Orisha. And um, I know people who practice voodoo. And um, I know there's a couple very specifically that are uh, uh, into some weird shit. Um, and they, like, one of the guy would, like, we would sit and talk about this. And one time I remember we were, like, having a conversation. And he would open his eyes really, really wide. So you could see, like, white all the way around his eyes. And he'd be like, yeah, okay. You want to talk about it? Let's fucking talk about all these people who suddenly their mom died and then they got famous. Do you know how many famous people's parents died before they became famous? Because that's what they say is that Papa Legba, you have to meet him at a crossroads. Um, and that you have to sell your soul as well as kill someone in your family in order to get fame. So this is not only a thing that's like kind of covertly talked about, but a lot of people who are deeply into the occult also will look at these things and kind of trace um, where that comes from. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, in truth, Robert Johnson didn't learn the guitar from the devil or Papa Legba, but rather from a man named Zimmerman of Hazelhurst. <laughs> 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 that's all I got for a name mm -hmm. is Zimmerman of Hazelhurst, like Geralt of that's Rivia. That's all you need. <laughs> um, Robert Johnson spent years learning from Zimmerman and truly dedicated himself to learning the guitar and fashioning the blues. Uh, the spooky factor is still kind of there, though, because both Zimmerman and Johnson preferred to practice in graveyards, as there would be nobody around to disturb them or see them. 
Uh, it is perhaps this fact that helped spur some of the legends around Robert Johnson's music. So yeah, obviously he did rapidly improve because he probably got a guitar of his own and was practicing in the graveyard with Zimmerman of Hazelhurst. Mm -hmm. And then he just showed up at the blues bar one day and was suddenly really good. And they were like, isn't that the guy? <laughs> isn't that the one guy? That was guy? just like begging to play any guitar. Do you have the name of that documentary? Do you want me to pull it up? Uh, no, I okay, don't. Let me pull it up. It's, it's on Netflix, I right? I think it's called the... Devil at the Crossroads or something like that. Um, yeah, a Netflix documentary, Devil at the Crossroads, which is um, the documentary about Robert Johnson. And I watched this before we even talked about doing this episode, and I would highly recommend watching it. It was really interesting. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Crossroads legend as well as other rock and roll urban legends in part two of our coverage of Rhapsodomancy. For now, though, let's do some Rhapsodomancy for ourselves. Uh, Elle is going to listen to an album provided by Chelsea, one of our Patreon supporters. Thanks so much for being a patron, Chelsea. Now let's give the album a listen. Do you remember what the album was? Yes, it is. Ooh. <laughs> I say so confidently. Yes, I know exactly what it is. It's Little Voice by Sarah Bareilles. Ah, Sarah So, Bareilles. And I want to say... um. Dude, I love your taste in music. Sarah Bareilles is like, I just love her. Um, RJ and I went for a drive last week to go see The Great Conjunction. And I was like, we should listen to this album and then just like deep dive into her discovery. Disco Discography? Discography. Words are hard. A lot of things are hard on this podcast today. I'm so sorry. This Rhapsodomancy reading is for our Patreon supporter, Chelsea, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. I asked Chelsea what album means the most to them. And we would have Elle do the reading with that album. And Chelsea said that it was Little Voice, uh, the 2007 album by Sarah Bareilles. And shuffling the songs, the song we landed on was Between the Lines. So Elle's going to go ahead and listen to that and give you your reading. Okay, so we're going to do this for Chelsea, who's our Patreon subscriber. And um, we have pulled up the album, shuffled it. I'm going to listen to it in my own headphones. We'll kind of talk about what the name of the song is. And then this reading is specifically for how um, 2021 is going to go for you. So that's what we're doing. Okay. Here goes Cerebrellis. This is the song Between the Lines. Okay, go ahead and pause it. The song? Yes. Okay, sorry. We're, like, trying to figure out how to do this, and it's not exactly smooth. Um, so what I would say is that there's a big focus, and I'm going to go back and keep listening to the song, but for now, it's, like, a big focus on... Um, the little things it's like minute details it's reminding me of virgo so i'm not sure if that you're i'm not sure if you're a virgo if you've got a virgo heavy chart but it's like getting really caught up in the little teeny tiny details and the minutia of things and that kind of 
coming in between relationships. So the more that you nitpick or the more that you focus on the small things that can um, fester underneath a relationship or fester in any relationship, not just romantic, the worse or like the more that's going to build into things. So be really, really careful about that for the next year. I definitely sense that there's going to be a greater scrutiny on yourself uh, just from you. Like, um, yeah, scrutinizing yourself and scrutinizing the things that you do and what that looks like and really putting yourself under pressure to do things correctly the first time. And the more that you do that for yourself, the more you're going to put that onto other people as well. Okay, go ahead and hit play again. Okay. Um. So the lyric was, he said her name. It sounded familiar in a way I could have sworn I heard him say it a thousand times. And so that's like, I just feel like there's so many things that are memories that are coming up. And that's part of the detail is like, um, I see repeating patterns or being kind of caught in patterns that you're having a hard time breaking out of. And that being repeating cycles, repeating patterns, and you needing to find a way to kind of quiet that inner critic of thinking that you're repeating mistakes or thinking that you're repeating patterns. Just because something shows up that's similar to a pattern you've had in the past doesn't mean that you're automatically doomed to repeat that. And or that these people from your past are going to start cropping up um, because you're experiencing the same pattern. So I'm definitely sensing part of like PTSD or really being worried about things from the past resurfacing in your current and well, it's like present and a little bit into the future over the next year. And you don't need to be worried about that. And that's also why you don't need to nitpick things because it doesn't mean you're going back to revisit the same traumas or the same patterns and stuff that has kept you stuck in the past. It just means that something is resurfacing and you can make a choice about how that works out and how that changes if it does change. But that's up to you and you making that choice. Okay, go ahead and play it again. Um, so this, and this song is between the lines, um, and that lyric of you and me between the lines is what she just said. Um, that kind of shows me that part of this control, part of this minute picking, part of what you're struggling with or what you will struggle with next year is not having things defined, feeling like you're not doing this or that. It feels like there's a lot of liminal space, a lot of in-between, a lot of space for you to create what you want. And the challenge there is not falling into that pattern making or not falling into, falling into, oh, this is what I always believed it was going to be, or this is what's happened in the past, and therefore we have to repeat that. But looking at liminal space as something that you can create and utilizing that space to co-create what you would like. So if we're talking about a relationship, if you're wondering about a relationship, really working with your partner to co-create a relationship that works for you, instead of feeling like it has to be defined, okay, we're in this relationship, that means that we're going to get married and we're going to have a house and we're going to have kids. You can be in relationships without that being the end goal. And so really looking at the ways that you can redefine the things that you're doing in your life and understand that you don't have to live by other people's expectations or these um, predefined lines or borders in order to accomplish things in your life. And that's a big thing that you're pivoting on this year is feeling like you've always had to do things a certain way to make other people happy. And now 2021 is going to be challenging you to say, are you going to repeat these same patterns and go back to the person that people think you should be? Or are you going to make a choice to move beyond that and allow yourself to co-create what you're wanting to have in your life? Okay, go ahead and play again. So that lyric was... um too late two choices to stay or to leave mine was easy to uncover he'd already left with another and so that's like again talking about that liminal space of feeling trapped by two different decisions and understanding that your two choices might not be the only thing because other things can happen that can create second choices or tertiary choices or other choices and I don't I just don't want you to get caught in the binary of that of feeling like okay I have to go or I have to stay again you can be in that liminal space where you make choices and recreate or co-create what you're looking for in your life 
Um, on the whole, I would say that this year can be really challenging. I think it has the potential to be a really challenging year for you. Um, and a lot of it feels very personal to me. It feels like a lot of personal choices or a lot of um, personal things. Like it doesn't feel external. It doesn't feel like business. It doesn't feel like familial. It just feels like you needing to come to terms with and come and grip like come to grips with, I guess, um, is the word that I'm hearing. Grasp get a grip on no it's not a it's like coming to terms like what i'm seeing is this um image of you and your like higher self like grabbing each other's lapels and kind of in this like fight of like okay what are we doing like okay now we need to figure out what happens we're being presented with these new choices these new options but they look very similar to things we've done in the past are we ready to move on do we want to do something different what does this look like and i think for that reason i mean when we're kind of um elevating or when we're adjusting when we're growing when when it's really when we're growing it gets complicated and that gets really tough to navigate and it can feel like you're really stuck in um kind of these these challenges these things that you faced in the past that you feel like you're over and you just feel like you're getting tested again and again um there's a fallout boy song and one of the lyrics in it is sometimes the only reward for being faithful is getting tested over and over again and that's kind of what it's reminding me of and i don't think that that needs to be a negative thing i think that's a very natural human thing and something that's indicative of your own growth but you determine how hard that's going to be for you Is it something that you're willing to go along with and you say, okay, this is a year of change, this is a year of challenge, and I'm ready to throw everything to the wind and just show up and face it and handle things? Or are you going to fight tooth and nail to be who you are and kind of stick with that person you've been in the past? So I think it can be a really challenging year, but it can be a really beautiful year of growth and of co-creating. And I think that it has the potential just as much as it has the potential to be a challenging year. It can be a really beautiful year where you're able to shed a lot of stuff and then gain a lot of new stuff. It doesn't feel like a year of losses to me. It feels more like a year of change and of growth. And um, like I said before, you get to really choose how you want to handle that and what that looks like and how difficult that's going to be. So I encourage you always to kind of throw caution to the wind and show up to the challenges with a big smile on your face and a kind of attitude that says I'm ready to take this on and also just for you to know that you're not alone when I say co-create I mean with your spirit guides with your higher self with all of the universal support with the support of people around you Um, and we do truly get to make choice about how we co-create and what we make in this life and so often people get so caught up in fate and believing oh this has already been determined for me I have no choice there's only one thing that I can do and that's just literally not ever true there can be choices that you don't want to make there can be things you're like well I don't really want to do that But that doesn't mean that's not a choice. And so it could be a year where you're faced with a lot of challenges and a lot of choices that you don't necessarily want to make. But your approach to them and your determination and your ability to co-create that life will really determine how difficult the year will be for you. So keep your head up. Look at things positively. Approach things and say, "Okay, I know I'm going to have to break out of some patterns. I'm going to have to adjust and become a different person. And I'm excited to do that. If you can look at those, um, that challenge, that idea with a um, a can do attitude and the kind of thing of being excited of saying, well, who could I be if I let go of all of this stuff, all of my story, if I let go of all of these really challenging things and I decided to be someone different, who would I want to be? And if you were able to go into it with that attitude and that mindset of being willing to let go of things that have defined you in the past so you can create new things that will define you in the future, it's going to be a great year.
Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Literally, this is the kind of thing that allows us to keep the show. We have to pay $20 a month for, like, podcast (laughs) hosting. Uh, And so uh, being a $10 supporter, being a Stancy. Yeah, um, being a Stancy. It literally, like, helps us keep making the show. Yeah. Chelsea is currently our only subscriber. (laughs) That's not true. We had two other subscribers, but their cards got declined. Yeah. (laughs) We technically have three, but we've only gotten payment from one <laughs> yeah it's okay you know what we love you guys doesn't even matter yeah. all, all cards decline at some point we get it so please hit us up on patreon and l will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering yeah. patreon.com slash mancy also if you like the show please share it with your friends the more support we have the more episodes we can make uh, and if you like my writing you can pick up my books at rjwalkerpoet.com if you want to get a reading from me, you can find me on my Etsy, which is Laurels of Lux, all one word. You can find me on Twitter at Laurels of Lux. Um, it's been a weird holiday season, so I was like, we're coming back with daily readings, and I did it for a week. So I'm in a bit of a transition with a lot of stuff in my life, but please get a reading from me. Please hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. Um, come interact with me. I post some weird polls sometimes, and I just love chatting with people. So definitely find me on Twitter and um, let me know if you'd like a reading. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Folker, Arthi Vinka, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs>